Uh, well, I mean, the question that I posed was, was uh, I don't know, anecdotal is not the word I'm looking for, but I mean, it literally, I've been doing lives, right? And this is, um, this is a part of me wanting to be as authentic as possible, right? Without, without pushing people away. I mean, there's some stuff you just don't tell people, right? Mm. But not too much with, <laughs> I mean, clearly you've read the book, but, yeah. but the question is, hey, uh, how do the lives make you feel, right? I have, I have brand positioning that I think about. Um, I have lots of things that I'm, I'm wanting to do. And then I have, clearly I have, not clearly, but I have a customer avatar that I need to remain focused on, especially here in the beginning, right? You, it's, it's key to the beginning of any startup, any brand, anything you're doing online, offline, in the business world. So the question was, uh, you know, how are you receiving my my lives? Because they're really personal. They're really about me. They're about some of the vulnerability that I feel I haven't been showing that maybe I should not so much about business. So that was the question. Now, unfortunately, you probably haven't personally seen them. And I was asking somebody else, but um, uh, the one last night was literally about my sense of humor, my my quirky uh, goofy sense of humor, which is a huge part of who I am. And it seems to be disrespectful. Like in my mind, in my made up world where I'm negotiating and having dialogue with myself, I think to myself, I, I present these heavy subjects. And I also have this unique experience inside startup companies. How in the hell do I fit in this goofy quirky thing side of me and and not turn off my customer so that's kind of the question well i mean if i put my cx lens on it my customer experience lens on it and the neuroscientific lens on it i like both of those lenses we, when we're focusing on the demographics the industries the types of people we're trying to speak to top executives or to people that are um, running Fortune 500 companies or small business owners. They're the what's of the people we're trying to reach. And all of our decision-making, there's only 20% that's based on the what, which is the rational. 80% right. of why we are loyal to people, why we become lifelong customers, why we give all of our wallet to a <laughs> to an organization, like if we're cooking for the business. But even in um, we, the people that we're married to, the our, our close friends, 80% of that relationship is based on the irrational, the emotional. And so you're, and what's becoming, I, I'm starting to tap into this as well, which is why I we spoke about this at length in the green room. We thought, God, let's let's press record. Um, is that by tapping into the irrational, you are far. It's it's how you find your real tribe, your emotional tribe, the people that want to create the the same change in the world for the same reason. Like we, everybody who sells coffee, everyone who has a coffee shop isn't equal. They're not all coffee shop owners. Some are coffee shop owners. Others are trying to deliver the best coffee experience to really kickstart the morning. They have a why behind it. And if they're ignoring that why, if they're ignoring the emotional driver, like if you weren't sharing these lives, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't 
pick up that it was about the lives, I thought, because I've seen some of your LinkedIn posts over Christmas as well. You know, you are, you're, you are showing your authentic self. And gosh, I think I really know, I, I know a lot of your authentic self by now because I've read your amazing book. Well, thank so, you. So, so what an introduction, I'll, I'll, um, an introductory start. Um, we, we've already spoken before. There's, there's obviously a potential that some of the listeners, they won't have heard the first part. We are going to be releasing them in the same week. We thought that was quite important. So we've held back on the first conversation. And we'll probably try and get this conversation out in the next seven days, won't we, Phil? Yes, yes, my producer says amen. <laughs> um, but for those that don't know you, please. Tell us all about Carl Dean Houston. Tell you all about Kyle Dean Houston. Well, you said we only had 45 uh, minutes. Yeah. Well, we don't. We don't. We've got well, – how about you? I've got an hour and 10 minutes at least. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, yeah, I'm here yeah. for the ride, man. Yeah, no, I'm your guest, and uh, you're. we're going to go where you take this thing. So um, just really quickly, what I am today is I am a, a speaker – coach, best-selling author of the book that you just mentioned, Patchwork Junkie. Um, but the journey to get to Patchwork Junkie, the journey to become um, these these things that I am right now was a very tumultuous, crazy, um, deeply affecting ride. Um, and just to put it in a nutshell, became wildly addicted to methamphetamine in my mid-20s. I was a young entrepreneur, ended up uh, in order to sustain my addiction teaching myself how to cook, got arrested, faced 30 years of my life, ended up doing seven behind bars. And we are abbreviating the crap out of this thing, but (laughs) ended up doing seven years behind bars, walked out at the age of 35 with no college degree, no network, scared to death, um, never even sent an email walking into my new career. And in 10 years, I went from a $10 an hour employee to a vice president uh, inside a $2 billion publicly traded company. And there's a heck of a lot of stuff inside of that, but that was the ride. Now, the real fear, now there was tons of fear. There was tons of white knuckling my career, but the real fear, the real decision was to let go of that story and give it to the world and just offer it up and see who it's going to help. And that is what took some soul searching like you wouldn't believe, but it got me to the doorstep of where we're at right now, my friend. So that's me in a nutshell. Now, I also got to tell you, love my wife. She is such a big part of the comeback story. Um, I have two baby girls. They're nine or they're, they're eight and 10 now. And I take being a father as seriously as you can imagine. Um, I'm a, I'm a good, funny dad. Um, I'm a, Okay, husband, <laughs> but, but I'm in love with my wife, right? So uh, there's room for improvement in that in that area, <clears throat> and that's me. <laughs> well, that's that, that that is that is certainly some of you. Um, yeah, I've, I've, this is our third conversation, and I, I don't they, know. They've all they've been, been great. They've been they've like the the last two, um, especially the last one before Christmas was for me almost life changing. I just finished your book. We so to give the listeners a bit of an overview, we were introduced, and I hadn't got hold of your first fifty pages when we first spoke, and we thought, well, this is going to be a completely different. You assured me that this is going to be a completely different conversation once you've read the book. So we got on Amazon, we we got the book, and it arrived. Well, thank you, Amazon. Great 
customer experience. It was really fast. I got, it was also really trackable. Like I was getting emails within the, I, I knew it was coming two or three days out. So that was really exciting. And when it landed, um, I was, it was at the end of 2020. Oh gosh, what a tiring year. I was dealing with some, finally some grief around my dad was starting to catch up with me because I'd been burying myself in work since getting back from the UK. But, and I wasn't having a very positive day about myself. And I thought, well, rather than getting on the phones and talking to people and I'm going to read this book, this has come on exactly the right day. And I, I read the, I, I, eight hours, couldn't take my eyes off it. My tear soaked eyes. Um, I love it. So, so, so thank you for writing the book. I then finished it off before our conversation. We were going to have a, a chat before Christmas. and we did, I, I wasn't in a space to record at that time. I was really limping at the end of last year. But we had this very rich conversation, and you asked me a question, and it absolutely has changed my life because it, it was four letters that I would have never associated with myself because I haven't been in a war zone, and that's what my – I haven't been in the prison system. I haven't gone through the trauma that so many people who, and I can completely get where PTSD comes from. But you asked me the question whether or not, I think I was telling you that I was finding that my, I had big, te- I was, I was having wild um, mood swings and I was also feeling particularly negative about myself, like distorted negative self talk. Right. Um, and you, Researching it over Christmas has honestly been absolutely life changing, um, and I think you you I, you haven't said PTSD though. I think you've thought it a couple of times, but you haven't said it for the people. Oh, that are my really, apologies. Yeah, yeah. No, you I, mentioned have I got PTSD, and I I never thought that anybody who had just lived a normal life, you know, um, I've been blessed in so many different areas. Um, but while I was researching, and I, you know. Huge respect for you, so I've got to look into this because maybe. And I discovered complex PTSD, which I think is probably far more, a bit more of an epidemic um, through a whole load of people that have no idea that they might have it because of that perception that PTSD has to come from a major trauma. Like reading about reading about it's very much around war, around. Um, loss um around uh, kids uh, people who go through terrorist attacks or um or or natural disasters earthquakes those sorts of things or fake life in prison or yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right or or, or 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 having your life like massive traumatic events going into the prison system and having to fight for your life um but there but i wonder whether there was already because the stuff that I in your book really identified with, and I'm sorry about this long monologue to start with. No, no, no. Was, I love it, man. You, you actually, you almost pulled some tears out of me just listening to you. Uh, it's amazing. And I'm sorry to interrupt you because I, I want to get to this point, but um, it is so important to me that the people that do find my book and read it, it's so important that... I get to have a conversation with them. I'm never going to get to have a conversation with everybody. There's, it's impossible, but it's it, it means more than you will ever imagine that you had that experience with my story, and that it did what it did, and that we had the conversation we had. 
because you, I can't begin to tell you how scared I was to put it out there. And I told myself, somebody needs this. Ah, man. Definitely. And uh, every once in a while I, I meet that person, you know, and, and it's always different. It's, it, it just seems to always be different and personal. And it's just something, it's not what I wrote. It's what I, I didn't wrote or implied, or it's like jazz, you know, the way this thing's received. It's, it's not what's in the words. It's what's not said that resonates with people that means something. And, and I just thank you, man. Thank you so much. I also well, I connected to- with your, early, the, especially the early years. And yes. That, that it sucked me in because the emotional experiences you had as a child were very similar to mine and the wanting to be good right. and not feeling good enough, wanting to be perfect because that was a good way of avoiding bad attention. Um, didn't have the same upbringing. I wasn't, unfortunately, I wasn't an um, lettered um, athlete at school. Um, but again, that also... Yeah, the the I'm still still working through that that aspect. Um, and it's funny, I have started looking at my teenage years a lot more and my childhood years a lot more. But it's left me. It, I I realise that what it, I think it's further trauma that compounds that early complex build up. And I would imagine, and we we talked in our earlier conversations because I was like, but why did it happen? Where did you go from being in your twenties? And successful, successful business person to do that. What was the driver behind it? And I, I think that there's certainly there's a lot of people who are, are suffering from mild, not mild. It's a, it's a wrong expression, but some complex PTSD, where they are feeling in a fight or flight response too often, that they are needing to escape that, and. They escape into work. They escape into positives and into negatives. And there's a lot of people who it will never get above an unmanageable state where they start even considering it because I just thought I was normal and a bit, I just had a temper. And you, you don't see yourself as having anything wrong with you because, or there is, it's just something wrong with you. You're just defective. You know, it's not anything to do with something that has been done to you because you can't look back and think, well, there's, there's lots of kids who have it way worse than I do. So it can't be because of that. You know, I just need to harden up. And then the, then you build these survival egos and these um, survival techniques. And we carry those with us. And the real person, the one who, with you, who is now coming out in these authentic lives and um, your book, that's the, that's the real kid that was actually hiding away and was being protected in sometimes good and sometimes not so positive ways. Absolutely. I think, I think part of, and this isn't, I don't think it's unusual, but, but, you know, part of your inability to see the potential of having complex PTSD or, or whatever label you wanted to put on it is you feel guilty. You, you, you know, because there's people that are at fault for that. Right. And, you know, you can articulate that in a million different ways, but you didn't do the dance alone. Right. And you love these people and you recognize that things could have been different, but you feel guilty putting a label as severe sounding as PTSD is. And Mm. I had the same experience right in the book. 
like I wasn't thinking about PTSD until, you know, until I took a breath and wrote this right. book. Right. right. And, and then I'm like, oh, uh, well, that sounds like me. Like, you know, but, but the truth is, is when I was writing it, I felt so guilty. I felt like I was betraying, like this was a breach of loyalty and, and all the things that like, this wasn't my role. And, you know, it was really, really difficult. So I know, I know how you felt. I know how you feel um, on every level, man, on every knowledge, level. I wanted to protect my Knowledge is power, though, because once, because once you know, once you know that it's not your head that's just, you just got a, a bad head. When yeah. you. When you, when, for me, realizing that one of the big symptoms was this was a distorted negative view of myself um, right. and out of control inner critic that could sometimes easily become an out of control outer critic during times of high stress and become a micromanager and push for perfection because that was a way to create safety. Previously, talking about me or you, I get confused. I'm, I'm talking about me here. No, oh, I know. Yeah, I'm you're like, describing yeah. me to a T. So, yeah, I'm like, well, that's why <laughs> I think that's why I was literally and honestly, I was crying during pretty much all of your childhood chapters. Like the 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 emotional connection with what you went through um, in the um, the the federal system and the, yeah. and the county system. Mm -hmm. They're just brutal and really. Um, really uh challenging um and 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 so honest and so honest you know to to read but it was the it was those early years of you know maybe the, the feelings of loneliness the feelings of maybe not being good enough and you know they, they were real it's incredible how piercing <laughs> those ideas were because we just don't take the time to think about why are we the way that we are i've i've thought I'm being really honest here. I've I've gone through periods where I've thought maybe I've got bipolar, or maybe I'm. I might. When I was 18, I was sure that I was schizophrenic because I went through a period where I could almost hear a voice. When I identified that the voice was just giving me basic survival tips, like go and brush your teeth, get up out of bed, it stopped immediately. But but there's been periods of time where like my coping mechanisms have made me very worried and I had no idea that they were just coping mechanisms. And so it also means that I now know, and I still hope this, that I'm not as bad as I think I am, which is there's hope there when you start realizing that maybe the view that you have of yourself is just distorted and that other people don't think that way. That's a real, that was a real release for me when I read about that aspect of it. I, I got to tell you that the book gave me the same gift. You know, I, I had to write it, but like, I, I, I almost feel like I had a, <clears throat> so I, I think I've shared this with you. I, I felt like the book was channeled through me. Right. And I know that's super woo woo and it's not exactly uh customers, especially for somebody that, um, uh, astrophysicist, I can't remember. Is that, is that what you are? Yeah. yeah. Astronomy yeah. and physics. And I convolute yeah. them into an right. astrophysicist, yeah. but it is, but it here is we go with God and stuff. anyway, I, <laughs> um, started to look at myself as the character of the story instead of that being me. And I, of course, you know, it depended on the situation, but, there was lots of tears and lots of things, but I got to experience the story again as the character living it, right? Me not being the character, but watching the character and saying, 
it's not so bad. It's not his fault. It's forgivable. It's and when I got to the end of the story, when I just started talking about humility and forgiveness and putting yourself in everybody's shoes, because I almost didn't make it out. I was going to get into that that last final mm. fight. Mm. All of that stuff was the culmination of what I had learned, what what you know had been reinforced because I wrote the book. That that was the beautiful thing of the book. The book is over. I'm done writing it. I'm writing the last page. And I start talking about the epiphanies that I had back then that made sense because I wrote this book now. Does, does that, can you follow that? that yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I got the same gift, man. I, and, and, you know, I, I didn't know who to thank, but I was thankful. I was grateful for sure. <clears throat> um, I have been a rationalist for far too much of my life. I think like uber rational. Um, I was brought up um, with some, you know, spiritual beliefs. It was probably more dogma than right. anything else. Me um, too. But uh, um, and I and I completely divorced myself from it when I went when my mother passed away, and I became a, an angry atheist for probably about probably about five to somewhere between five and ten years. I can't exactly remember. And then I became a quiet atheist because I thought well, it's not really that fun going around trying to challenge people's be beliefs that they build, you know, that, that, that do th those beliefs are valuable to some people, you know, um, you, you I calmed down, <laughs> I calmed down. And then just in the last two years, I've kind of, I've been asking similar questions that you've been asking. You were asking, you know, some for different reasons, but you know, in fact, Plato said that at the, in your forties is when you kind of, that's when you should start philosophizing. That's when you should start running the world as well. Apparently, no one should be a politician until that age. They should basically go away and live life. And then in their 40s, they they then start really like the orang do you know do you know about male orangutans? This is a wild well, what tangent. About um, the fact that when they become mature, they go off and live on their own and, um, in the forest and basically stare up at the sky for 30, 40 years and contemplate life. I did not know that. I did not know. I wish they could speak. We yeah. would, uh, we'd have lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just go off in solitary hermitude and consider the universe. Wow. Are we sure that's what they're doing? <laughs> I saw, well, hey, I saw it on a, Richard, on a, on a um, David Attenborough documentary. And when I hear David Attenborough say something, I tend to believe it. I think that, that man is one of you know he's one of the one of the greats you know all right uh, well i mean i'm i'm gonna take it as uh, a piece of data how's that sound i think you know, I, I, well, we, we don't know that they're considering the universe they could just be, but we do know that they go off on their own in hermitude for decades well, so let me tell you the challenge their life, so they do know that this is the reason i have a challenge with it i love this this is super philosophical and you're yeah. you, you're gonna you know pull out the queen and Check. <laughs> but, uh, um, my my slight challenge with it is that I've so I'm in the process of starting another book, and this one's more in the vein of self help, and it's about the mind. It's about the negative self talk. It's about beating that voice, right? And I'm going through the very beginning of it, talking about what separates us from machines, AI, what separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. And it really boils down to the, the degree to which we can uh, become aware of ourselves, right? 
And I, when you tell me that an orangutan can run out there, and, I, and maybe they can, and you know, start contemplating the universe, I start to think, well, then it just becomes great brain capacity. Uh, and, and now you're screwing up my theory. So I can't just adopt it in real time. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. What, because your theory, I, I, I agree with your theory, that what it is is consciousness. Right. Right. But, but, the, it's, but, but what, what it might mean is that we are our perception of the world, that we're the only sentient conscious being. But listen, is, it's not. And maybe we're not. committing a lot of sins against other conscious beings. It's like when we don't consider them to have consciousness and the ability to, like dolphins, incredibly huge personalities. A lot of badly behaved ones as well. A wild range of behaviors in the dolphin kingdom. Well, they have a favor um, system. They have all sorts of things. But but here's what I want to tell you why it's not just consciousness. It's a it's a degree because. AI is going to be able to produce, oh, it does, conscious yeah. to some degree. And, and dogs are conscious of themselves to some degree, right? And I'm just saying we have the ability to become aware that there's a machine, that there's coding, that things yes. are embedded behind all of this, and that we can rise above that. And somewhere inside that is the difference between us and everything else so far. That's in my mind because I'm human-centric. And yep. I'm probably wrong, but that's where I'm going in the book. All right. <laughs> maybe the maybe the orangutans are about to evolve into the maybe. next stage because they're a, they're they're cousins. They're on a different evolutionary pathway, but we're cousins, so they could still be like the, we we we. If you choose to believe the 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 basic concepts of Darwin, then you know we're a we're a we're an evolving species. I see evolution all all over the place. I, actually, I think we're now. I think we're now evolving psychologically and mentally and emotionally. That's what's happening at the moment. The way that we interact on a human-to-human -human basis seems to be where I see the evolution. Absolutely, I, I see. I see a little uh, devolution as well in some areas. Um, and we might be going too far away from my book. I hope this. Yeah, okay. we are. We are. I'm sorry. But, no, don't be sorry. Look, I don't. I, I hang out with eight and ten year olds all day long. I don't get to. I don't get to pontificate in this way very often. But um, you, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, here's my thing about society, <clears throat> and then we'll go back to the book. <clears throat> we're making huge leaps, and we're we're making them. It's you know, there's these very distinct points in culture right now in 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 history. And we're making these huge leaps. I think racism is going in the right direction. I think, and you know, that's easy for me to say as a white guy in America, right? But I, I really see an understanding happening that's never really happened before. And, but I also see the, the, the man, I hate to talk about, you know, future generations, but I see the kids and, you know, potentially the early 20 year olds and, and the, I'll, the young adults that are in college being so fragile. And I consider that to be a devolution. And I consider the rest of it to be going in the right direction. And somebody needs to corral all this in and say, Hey man, you're going to have to have some tough skin because this is still life. You know, we're not going to be able to live in these bubbles. And so, you know, it, our work's not done. We don't just get to wipe our hands of it and die. Right. We're going to have to usher this thing in, in the right way, but, absolutely 
new consciousness, new ways of thinking, um, global cohesiveness in a way that I've never imagined, let alone I seen. Know. Like inter international conversations are so easy now. Everybody's uh, everybody's approach to borders seems to be, and certainly in the business, and I'm talking in the business world, right. seems to be dropping down over 2020. Like there's there is no difference to the in a, in a lot of countries, and my heart goes out to them. And I'm 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 guessing that you're in some form of lockdown at the moment. Um, we no, are. Yes, you are. But I'm in Florida. <laughs> Right, right. So you're in a nice warm state. So it's probably what what's been seen around the world is the warmer the weather, the easier it seems to be to get a grip on it with the right with the right thing. You know, certainly, I think Australia has benefited from from that, and New Zealand. We're now into our summer, so we're less nervous. Although with the new strains beating on the doors of um, borders, you know, it's. Uh, it's it's a crazy world out there, but one of the huge benefits is that the border between you and your neighbours is no further away than me and being in Auckland when it comes to having a conversation and to discussing the world and gazing at our navels and enjoying ourselves. You know, it's, it means that we can connect with, I think, the potential for tribes to find themselves, which again, circling back to your live uh, your your live subjects, um, we get to. The tr our tribes are now able to look more for each other. And that level of connection maybe will give us a lot of tribal resilience. Like up till now, we've had to be very independent, really. You and I grew up in a age where we were kicked out of the house and we, were, we came home at 8 o'clock and we were on our own during the day. And, God, my kids don't get any of that. No. It, it worries me. It does worry me in some ways. Bit. But also... Mm -hmm. I put up with a lot of bullying and a lot of toxicity and my viewpoints on certain things were not driven by the family because, you know, pretty much at that time you lost control of the ethics at, they, they still say that pretty much once they go to intermediate, your chance, you, you've got to have made those major influences on, on their morals by that point, because the, the influence from their friends becomes so much more. Well, it was even more in yours in my day, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I will see. I, I've got a 10 year old, you know, girl. So we'll see. We'll see. And, and look, I was really, really lucky coming from a small town, you know, and I was a tough kid. I wasn't big by any means, but I was tough. People didn't mess with me. It, and I didn't pick on anybody, right? But I mean, it was um, it's just good to be me in that little town, except at home, which you read all about in the book. But um, we'll have to see. Here's what I I, I have you seen uh, Social Dilemma? I know you have. This is something you would eat up. Okay, definitely. So I, I worry about that, about it being that fragile and not being able to handle it. So <clears throat> anyway, um, it, we we really have come full circle now and talked about orangutans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get yeah. right back to my live question. I think we answered that thing. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, we have. I, I just wanted to make sure that people knew that there was a a, a line between, the, you know, and there, there is. This is all linked. Like people... Uh, no one's no one's challenged me on it, and I, you know my uh, that that negative self talk is worried sometimes about how far off the traditional customer experience tech this podcast goes. But 
we I don't consider customer experience being anything more than really, it's it's human experience. Like when you talk to anybody who is trying to improve the human experience, it is still using the same neuroscience, those human-to-human interactions that we can it, learn from. Um, they're they're all the same, whether it's in business or outside of business. It's still about dopamine, and that 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 brings us, you know, which is what the social dilemma is all about. It's these dopamine thieves, these businesses that are literally set up to grab your attention. They make money from short-circuiting your brain to keep your attention so that they can sell you as a product. That's what the majority of social media platforms are at their very core. You know, that whole, if you are the, if it's free, you are the product. If, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. That, that's the Silicon Valley mantra. That's right. And, and you know what? Everybody knows it and they're still cool with it. I'm still on social media. It's like, ah, you know what? That's haunting. Um, but I didn't slow down. So it's, uh, and I can certainly use the excuse I've got to, I'm running an online business and there's not a lie in that, but the truth is, uh, I need to police myself a lot better, but back to the customer experience. Here's, here's something you and I haven't talked much about the customer experience because I have that crazy story, (laughs) but I, because it's so near and dear to my heart. And I know I said this month and a half ago, two months ago when we were talking, I, when people ask me what the secret was when I grew multiple startups, put them in Inc. Magazine's Fastest 500, blah, blah, blah. What was the success and the failure? What, what do you attribute it to? And I will tell you right now, it was the way we treated the customer. It was that there was nobody or no thing more important than that customer. And we had no brand equity. And everybody's job was make that customer love us, period. We want loyalty because they have a million reasons to say no and a few to say yes. And our sales guys are out there getting their ass kicked every single day. And we don't want to keep selling to the same person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we want you to keep them. And I was in charge in the second startup. I was in charge of um, customer service. And you know what? I don't want to repeat what I said last time, but it's really, really, really important. I get scared when I see all the online sales. I see it's mostly a bunch of order taking um, in a lot of areas. Commodity. It's very commodity based. Very commodity based. Really, I'm worried that that is being lost. It's being lost, especially you know. I talk to a lot of young folks that are creating online businesses. And they, they're the next best thing in digital marketing and they're ready to go. These people will hang up on you in the middle of a conversation because you don't get their value proposition. Just hang up. There's a hundred just like you, Kyle, that I can be talking or thousands. And like th- that's that's what's cropping up. That's the way people do business now. And it really frightens me because we talk about tribes and we talk about things that are being brought together. But again, there's also... Um, there's also these barriers like you and I could put a tribe together that's totally virtual and those people really don't know who we are. They just know the best parts of us because I show up and I'm funny and I show up and I'm caring. <laughs> they don't see me wake up when I'm a pissy dude that hadn't had his coffee yet, right? Would they still be in although my tribe? Fa- although Facebook, are, their algorithms can predict those times, can't they? They yeah, wake yeah. up this day. So let's serve him this content because this is going to get us a, 
a bit more engagement because he's probably last time he was he went through these things like it's it's crazy the level of um insight that these companies could have that 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 power comes with a lot of responsibility and I think yeah. that's where the problem lies no one is I know when I was I come I, I was I was uh, at the start of the 2000s in the dot-com industry and that was a bit wild wild west and it was a race to the bottom in some ways it was just like how do we make our fortunes um I think it taps into the very real problem that, and this is what I hear from people like your good self, other investors, is that they they think that only 20% of people that they hear from actually have an idea of what problem they're solving. You mean in business? Yeah, the what problem for their customer. Right. So what is the – I'm going to – I've become – if I'm just buying stuff I don't need, then I'm just a shopaholic. But generally, people and and hey, so I've been, definitely been through those periods in my life where there's been compulsive purchasing because it's felt good. Um, but when it comes to actually being loyal to a company, like I'll, I'll spend willy nilly transaction here, transaction there. You can grab my attention and maybe I'll give you some of my hard-earned money because you get me at the wrong time. But if I'm going to be loyal to somebody then there has to be an outcome that is regularly being achieved that's important to me, a problem that is being solved. And that's how we become loyal to people, like the, the, the problem of loneliness. We love the people that we attach ourselves to. Well, there's know. that, but for me, it's trust. I mean, yes. it's, it, there's no other way to get around it. For me, it's trust. And if, if I – and there, there's a tons of ways to trust people and there's a ton of ways to not trust them. But if I trust that they're competent, if I trust that they have my best interest in mind and I trust that they're going to be able to perform, like actually deliver the bill of goods they sell, I'm, I'm going to stick with them because that's difficult to find, man. Yeah, it is. Right? I mean, it really is. I think you're bang on the, on the nose with trust. And I think what we do is we entrust – don't you don't, you, you and I, um, and the book we've talked, we've talked about dopamine before, and how this is really the driver of everything that we do. Dopamine is this molecule of the future, whereas every other neurotransmitter in our head is the molecule of here and now. So we we get dopamine when we solve our problems, and when we get surprised, and when we have um, when goals are reached. If we set a goal and reach it. And we get a big kick of dopamine. So that's why small goal setting is so important. But if you stop, I mean, dopamine is so important to our brains because it's the only way that we can plan the future is with dopamine. That we'll try and look for unhealthy um, versions of it if we can't get healthy versions of it, um, which is what leads to sex addiction, drug abuse, um, gambling. You know, there's all these great ways to get free dopamine which is why people in those kind of positions are less motivated to – motivation actually comes from um, a fear of pain, a fear of failure. Our body is basically trying to avoid disappointment that we cannot – we don't want to cope with. And so that's why motivation can get worse and worse and worse. People get so wrapped around the axle when you make a comment like that. And I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't made it necessarily in that way, but I literally just did a webinar where I was talking specifically, it, it was entitled how to get epic shit done always. Right. And I literally talked about motivation and 
my greatest motivator. Then certainly you can be inspired. And and certainly, you know, I can live in future emotions and I can think about the future. And I, I utilize that a lot. But the one thing that allowed me to do, like overcome insurmountable odds, especially when I was, you know, five-time convicted felon and trying to hide everything from everybody and, you know, creating this comeback story was literally the fear that I was going to be found out or the, you know, and if I got found out, I would never be able to work again. And, you know, I had these billionaire VCs who knew my name and respected me and knew I was running the sales team and I had to hide it all the more for that reason. And the only way to hide it was overperform and, you know, work 16 hour days and be the first guy in and the last guy out and da, 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 da. And it drove, like, I'm telling you, I, I didn't make anybody rich because they were already rich, but I made them richer because of pain and fear and insecurity and doubt. And it created the guy that I am right now. Now, can't oh, I'm like going to challenge that, Kyle, because we're yeah, good, mate. Yeah. I'm going to challenge that a little well, bit. And I think what it was, I, I, and I th- obviously that is a massive driver. And I, I personally think that my driver in my life has been a fear-based motivational driver, not to the same level of fear that you talk about, like having those, having that found out, but just because potentially being brought up in a fear-based home um, where that was the motivator um, becomes the norm. When what 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 I've and we we spoke on a podcast with somebody yesterday, it's the meaning. If you can get to a meaning, mm-hmm. that can I think that can trump the fear. And like at the moment, I would say that you're probably more motivated. I don't mean like you are on fire because you are bringing even more meaning. You've, you've understood the meaning that you're coming. Would I, would I be right there? Is that challenge a fair challenge? No, no, it's not. No. And, and, and you're not right. I got to tell you. <laughs> good, good. You're not right about me. All right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would love to live in a world where uh, what drove me was the carrot at all times. And, and that I put all my faith in God and knew that it was all taken care of. I, I would love to pretend that that's me. Okay. But the truth is back then, when you think about what I accomplished, um, I'm not accomplishing things to that degree. I I, I think what I'm doing is more meaningful. I absolutely think that I'm making a, a bigger contribution, but if it got as difficult as it was back then, I, I might just pull the reins back a little bit. There was no pulling the reins back back then. You talk about motivation in its purest form. There, there, there was zero chance I was going to say no uh, to anything because I didn't have quit in me. Right now, I'm I can pick and choose a little bit. So when you start to weigh things against all of that, yeah, I think I was more motivated back then. I think I'm a hell of a lot more inspired now. Um, and what I what I'm doing is what I want to do, right? which is help people and just spend more time with the family, all of those great things. I don't want to just gloss over it, but all of that's true. Back then I was willing to sacrifice every minute with my wife just to make sure I kept my job. Right. So anyway, I I don't know if you can pick holes in that, but that's the way it was. I thought about it a lot. I, it, I sounds, it sounds to me as if you're still highly motivated. It's just that you are motivated by 
a different view of the world now. Don't get like me it, wrong. I'm highly motivated. Yeah, like, exactly. I, that's exactly. Into the circuits. What I'm saying is back then there was no stopping. I'm going to die before I, you know, quit. I'm not dying before I quit now. I've already been through stage four cancer because of that attitude. Right. So it's just, it, it's, it's, uh, I didn't, it, know, I didn't know about that, Carl. When did that happen? Uh, how how long ago was that? Eight wow. years ago. Yeah. I, my daughter is eight and she was born, this will be in the second book, but she was born, um, a week after my third, um, chemo. So it was a magical moment. It was a great story. Great story. But yeah. Um, but you know, on top of all the other stuff, you forget about stage four cancer. How, how crappy does your life have to be? Forget that you forget this one small thing. Oh yeah. I had stage four cancer. Um, well, read the book. That'll tell you. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for the second book. Cause that's, <laughs> that's where now all of my questions are faced. Like I know where you are now. I'm pretty much my, I've caught up to the story as to when that, the prison chapter of your life was over and how you just, and, and how, you know, you, you overcame all of those disappointments, but there's, there's, I haven't got to the part where you start rebuilding and, and also that part where you're hiding, you know, that rebuilding and hiding. Somebody interviewed me on their show and they challenged me with a similar question around my dive industry experience when I lived on a on an island in Thailand teaching diving for a year and a half and it was like I was healing myself but I was also hiding while I was healing myself I was just getting on with it trying to rebuild something new I'm very motivated at that time once I found something that I could focus on to rebuild to get myself out of that perceived place that I was in yeah so um, I'm super excited about writing the second book here here's what ended up happening the the second book was I thought it was all going to be one book, right? And and I made a lot of decisions that go against what everybody that was the expert told me to do, and they yeah. worked out. One of them was the flashbacks that you love so much. I, literally every single person I ever talked to said, "Don't do flashbacks." And I haven't had a single conversation with a reader that doesn't say, "I'm so glad those flashbacks were there." Because how else are you going to tell your young story? Right? Well, it's the context. It's the context. It's, it's, it's such an important context. And it's. Yeah, I think it's what connects us, the reader, to the story. If we haven't been through that, like that, if you've, if you've had that kind of experience in childhood, there will be some challenges that come with the, the, the developmental holes that we had because right. of, of the lack of this or the excess of that. And quite frankly, I, I'm, I'm challenged to meet somebody that hasn't had some sort of trauma in their childhood, whatever it was. I mean, even people that had great parents, one of them dies. You know, I mean, it's just something happens, right? Or grandpa was the son of a bitch, whatever it is. Um, I forgot. Can I cuss on this? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Apologies. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, no, but Phil probably go. No, no, no. I'm gonna have to cut that out now. <laughs> uh, but but the, the, it was supposed to be one story, uh, and and I was told you have to do it. And so I I was writing it as a single story. So I have most of the second book written, right? Because it was written at the same time, but. Oh my God, I, I wasn't going to pull away or distract from, these are two different stories. One is 
the tragedy that you read, which is really, really important to me and, and important to a lot of people that have read it. The second one is the comeback story. And I didn't want those two to be confused at all. And, you know, I didn't want to dilute the relationship with my wife by trying to jam it all into an eight pound bag. So I, I'm excited to get it out. I'm excited to write the rest of it because I, th- you were talking about, um, you know, healing while you're, while you're working. And I, I can't remember how you said it. Healing, but, healing while you're hiding. <laughs> healing while you're hiding. Thank you. Um, I wasn't doing, I was doing way more hiding than I was doing healing. And of course I was healing. Of course, that's just a natural thing of living a decent life and, and accumulating things, but I wasn't healing at the rate that I am now. And so this is going to be an important story so that people understand, look, even when, like, I mean, everybody thought that I, I had a 25 year career and that I had worked my way into Silicon Valley and that all these things. But the truth was, is I'm this frightened, insecure guy going home every night, Googling every word I heard that day, teaching myself all of these things and driving myself bananas and and diminishing the life. Like my wife loves me and I love her, but man, I could have given her a better life. We, I, There was no vacation, not even our wedding, where I wasn't preoccupied with the numbers that I was going to hit. I was obsessed at a level that is not healthy. Right. And people need to see that like success comes with a cost and it's beyond just that. Right. This is about love and forgiveness and all of those great intangibles as well. But this is a classic story of, hey, it wasn't what it looked like from the outside. And if I diluted the part that my wife played in that, because I try to shove all of that together, I would be doing a disservice to every forget every woman out there, every person that needs to see that, you know? So anyway, that's, um, that's part two. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm do a the, theater near you. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's your pl- current plan time frame for that? Ah, oh, man. Like, when, can the, I, when can I expect to have my next life changing cry for a couple of days? That's, hey, you know <laughs> what? Well, really I think, cool. I think this, I think this one's going to be a, like, I can't, I'm reading a book by Ant Middleton at the moment, um, all about positivity and about almost being radically positive. Um, you know what I need from you? I need, I need to be in the book of the month club, the ones that you, your choice, because you come up with these great books. You're, you're one of the last real readers, man. I love this stuff. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't read as much as yours was the first actual physical book that I've finished in a couple of years it's it's given me the the enjoyment of reading again because up until generally how i consume books these days is through audiobook like i've got it in the car in between meetings i go to sleep or i wind down in the evening with it on um and so that i, I consume them but I, I really that was another thing it was actually you gave me the gift of being able to sit down turn a page have that physical um experience with it so thank you it's there's a couple of other books that have now that have been sitting on my shelf for for a, for a few months and i've started reading them because i've i've fallen in love with that that tactile experience well, I love one, it. one thing that this is a time for your book by the way because we are and i talk about this a lot on the podcast and various different guises but we are now in in the last year um 
many observers and everyone I'm speaking to seems to agree that we have evolved and moved forward about five years in the last year. Business strategies that people had for the next five years, they've had to pretty much execute on the whole thing to survive in many cases, especially when it comes to digital migration. You know, we've had to um, we've had to really embrace virtual working. It's not a new sub. It's not a new thing that came with the pandemic. When I was at the FT in in the early two thousands, we were talking about this being the savior for climate change. That if people were working from home more, so there's there's all the top executives were already considering how they could do this. So we've moved forward, and us as a society as a as a as a culture as a species um certainly the western culture uh, the capitalist culture has what people are predicting moved into the trans uh, the transformational economy and i know we talked about i think we did talk about this on the first show but i've i haven't been able to get out of my mind since tony boder introduced it to me and this is why i love it so much it, the experience was great and in the experience economy, that's almost what I used to look for, just great experiences, things that I would enjoy. But what this gave me was a transformational experience. And in the transformation economy, it's going to be the books that we read, the companies that we um, give our, our, our loyalty to are going to be the companies, the people, the authors, the writers, the readers, uh, the, 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 the publishers who, um, who do that, um, who... Um, transform us. Um, I think, you know, that's why Zoom is a verb now. It's because it was a transformational, it's been transformational in so many lives. You know, when all now digital natives, grandma is Zooming. Um, when I, two years ago, I knew of Zoom. And if I mentioned a Zoom conversation, people look at me, what is Zoom? <laughs> um, and now, and it's the reason, like Skype missed out because they've, they, they should have been focusing on how do we make this transformation? How do we get it to as many people as possible? Zoom is just so accessible, great service, great experience. There's obviously things to improve, but the fact that it's so easy to operate means that it could transform more people's lives, which is why it's become the dominant player in the market. And I think we'll see that in more places. That's why I love your book so much, because it transformed me, Kyle. And uh, on that note, and quite abruptly, I'm going to say I can't wait to see you on the show again. And we're going to talk well before then anyway at regular intervals because uh, I really do value your friendship, my friend. I really do. Well, no, so, I, listen, I appreciate all of that. I, I want to tell you that um, you got to give me a list of these books, man. I love I it. Transformational okay. Economy I, I know, or the Transformation Economy. I want all that. I want to read that. I love it. I love it. Okay. It'll transform me. So, right, well, we will put the, the book, The Experience Economy, um, that was reintroduced to me after I read it. It was it came out in two thousand and three. That's something we'll put in the show notes. But Carl, I'm gonna I'm gonna be bothering you on emails with everything that I'm reading and just saying this is what I got out of it. So I'm I'm more than happy to share if I can if I can help in any transformative way. I'll be delighted. Absolutely. Hey, uh, thank you for receiving the book in the way that you did. I've had the best conversations with you. And I don't know how I feel about having a competing book in the show notes, but don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's very true. No, I won't do that. I won't do that. Uh, we, will, we will give you the, 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 the respect that you deserve. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Getting overexcited but after you asked me for a book recommendation. But I will email you that book anyway. You'll definitely get that by email um, after the show. So All thanks right, ever so much, my friend. Okay, man. 
Love to you and the family. Stay safe, stay well, and we will talk again very soon. Likewise. Absolutely. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening today. I hope you got some really solid value out of the conversation. If you did get some value, please consider subscribing using any of the links below. We are on all major podcast platforms. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or via our website, www.halftimeorange.co.nz. Look forward to speaking with you next time.